You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organisation pursuing real learning, original scholarship and thoughtful living in a dying age. I want to welcome you to another broadcast of our series on Latin presented to you by the Fleming Foundation. I'm the usual host, Thomas Fleming, and today is our star guest, Eleanor Fleming Lacey. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning, Dad. No, sir, please, it's Professor. Oh, I'm sorry, Professor, Doctor. No, I think, I think Dad will do. Okay. Now, we're going to start today with a text, as always, and uh, you will read it. This is a very familiar text from uh, St. Paul, and you're going to read it in uh, school book classical Latin, then I'll have a stab at the Italianate church Latin. All right. Tocca a lei. All right. Cum esem parvulus, loque bar ut parvulus. Cogitabam ut parvulus, quando autem facto sum vir e vacui quae erant parvuli. Videmus nunc per speculum in agnimate, tunc autem facie ad faciem. Nunc cognosco ex parte, tunc autem cognoscam sicut et cognitus sum. Nunc autem manent fides space caritas, Tria haec, maior autem horum est caritas. Okay. And now in uh, a more medieval version. Cum essem parvulus, loquebar ut parvulus, cogitabam ut parvulus, quando autem factus sum vir, evacuavi que erant parvuli. Videmus nunc per speculum in enigmate, tunc autem facie ad faciem, Nunc cognosco ex parte, tunc autem cognoscam sicut et cognitus sum. Nunc autem manent fides spes caritas, tria haec. Maior autem horum est caritas. This, of course, is the familiar uh, passage. Uh, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, and when I became a man, I, I got rid of uh, those things which belonged to a child. Uh, now we see through a mirror in in a darkness in in, in, a, in a riddling, confused way. Then, however, face to face. Now I know in part, and then, however, I shall know just as I am known. Now, however, there abide or, or remain uh, that is in this earth. There's faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of them is charity, caritas. Caritas, of course, does not mean giving to the poor, that is, almsgiving. It means a, a, a particular kind of love uh, where you, uh, uh, from the Greek agape, where you, you, you love the person somewhat for themselves, but it's also very close to, to, to friendship. Um, all right. I want to uh, note just a few things in this, we, because of what we're taking up, we're going to be taking up today, uh, well, taking up probably in the next episode, the uh, imperfect tense, and we have a number of imperfect tenses here. Loquebar, when, uh, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child. Uh, and cogitabam, I used to think as a child. However, when I became a man, I got rid of or put away a evacuavi, 
those things which belong to a child. Okay, so we see a distinction here which we'll draw out at length when we talk about verbs between verbs which uh, suggest continuous or repeated action, like I used to speak as a child, I used to think as a child, and verbs which describe either a present condition um, uh, um, arising from uh, past action or a simple past. I got rid of those things which uh, belong to children. But uh, in this lesson, we also in this passage, we also see... Uh, Two words, well, actually three words, which we're also going to be concerned with. There's a phrase, facie ad faciem, and then fides and space. These are all nouns of the fifth declension. So these are. this is our subject for the next two podcasts. Uh, basically, that is the fifth declension and the use of the imperfect indicative and the use and formation. It's the easiest tense in Latin. Well, let's um, let's turn to uh, a little bit to part B, which is where the young teacher gets to ask the the embittered veteran uh, questions <laughs> about uh, about teaching Latin. Uh, uh, well, first, I also had a question. I noticed in the text the use of quando, which I don't remember seeing very often. When did that become? Oh, it was there from the quando as a substitute for ubi. Yes, okay. No, ubi in this, and com, yeah, quando, yeah, which is, of course, it looks Italian when you... Right, and so maybe that's why I'm thinking that yeah, it's not Latin, yeah. but it is. Yeah. They're, okay. There are songs, it's funny, you know, there are songs both in modern Spanish and modern Italian, quando, 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 you know, when, when will you fall in love with me, etc. So, quando seems to be a magic word for pop music, but yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it uses, it has the advantage that you don't have to remember... When you're using cum, you have to remember when you use the subjunctive, when you use the future or future perfect, and when you use the present indicative. Whereas with quando, it's a, it's much easier. Any other right. uh, any other questions on the text? I don't think so. That was pretty pretty easy. In fact, I had made my own translation thinking you were going to call upon me, <laughs> and I well, I was very nervous, but you you took care of it. I am. Um, I, I remind you when we were talking about use, doing this, that when I was a first-year Greek student, uh, my professor, Kiffinaires Rockwell, would, <clears throat> we were, in addition to studying our Greek textbook, which was the awful Chase and Phillips, we, would read, we were reading uh, Luke's Gospel. And um, so around, somehow, we, around early December, we got to, no, even earlier, we got to the, 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 the account of the birth of Christ. And the professor asked the student, they were all, except for me by then, all, all of the, they were all seminarians, or pre-seminarians. They're all going off to become ministers. And so he said, uh, Mr. Roberts, would you please translate this? And so he said, there went out in those days a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, etc., etc." Well, the professor closed his eyes and sighed, and he got a beatific smile. He was so happy, and the student knew he was really doing well. And then the professor opened his eyes and said, Very good, Mr. Rockwell. The authorized version of Holy Scripture is one of the great masterpieces of the English language. Now, perhaps, you would like to translate it yourself. <laughs> yes. No, I was prepared for that, because I've heard that story. Yeah. So I, I changed a few words. Yeah. You trots, by the way, <coughs> trots, which is stu old student slang for a translation, 
uh, trots are the bane of young students because they, uh, they, the, it's one thing for an old geezer to, to take a, a bilingual lobe text and page through it quickly and uh, say, oh, well, I'm just looking for the meaning here, and then I'll focus on a few passages. But the student is supposed to be learning Latin and grappling with problems and not looking at the way somebody solved them 100 years ago or 50 years ago. And the, and the trot constantly persuades them that they know more Latin than they do. And it's a real impediment. And uh, when I was a student, it was made very clear we were not to use a translation and we were not to write in our books. Because uh, you write in your book or you have a, a strip of paper with vocabulary, which is what we had done in, in high school, uh, it, 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 it's a cheat note. What, what counts for the student is when you walk into class and sit down and the professor says, translate, it's what's in your mind, not what you wrote down last night copying from a commentary or a dictionary. And that, might, that means you have to maybe go over the passage twice so that you remember it. Some, some decent professors will allow you to write down uh, unusual words or take notes on the grammar. But if you've got a, if you've got a whole thing written out, I mean, uh, it, 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 it's cheating. When I, was, when I was helping homeschooling kids around here in Rockford, uh, I was, we were doing third-year Latin. We were doing some Cicero. And these kids, they were perfectly nice kids, but they would come in with a, with a, with a, with a large note card slipped into the book with the whole thing translated. Yeah, uh, and read, like I'm, I'm so stupid and blind, I can't see. That'd be, I'd be pleasant, and after the class, I'd say, I don't, I, uh, you're under a misunderstanding. I, this, you're here to translate to Latin, not to read off a card. So please don't do it again. But they cheated outrageously, and I find homeschooled children and and private Christian, that is both Catholic and Protestant, they're they're the biggest cheaters in the world because they're they're pampered by uh, their parents. And by the uh, and and by the schools. Okay, let's get to your questions. Well, that also sort of leads into a question that just occurred to me. Um, so, my students not only when they go home to translate, you know, the, um, a piece, they have the vocabulary at their disposal. They also now have Google Translate or things online that they use, and they've noticed that that doesn't work too well. But it's a great aid to them. So they can turn out a decent translation for homework. Yeah. And then the next day in class, we'll read some new piece that they haven't had a chance to prepare. Um, you know, and it's mixed how they perform. But then, even if they've done well, if I ask them, what is the declension in case of this noun? And, or what is the tense of this verb? What is the subject in this sentence? They, they can't answer those questions. And I... That baffles me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and I don't know how to work on that except to keep on, yeah. keep on asking those questions. Well, the um, there here are a couple of things that can be done. One, you tell them that if you catch them using Google Translate, in other words, I would I would do this. I would take the passage and put it into into Google Translate, and then so you know what it's going to say. Right. So uh, if they're reproducing it, you'll tell, tell them it counts as cheating and you get a zero for the day's grade. That right. Say, I forbid you to use it because it hurts you. It's First of all, it's not very accurate. Right. No, that's – I mean, I, I can tell when they've used something because it's pulling – it's oh, yeah. turning out vocabulary words that we're not using. You know, it's 
it's making up something. So I, I partly can tell. I've sometimes taken one of my, uh, something I've written, and I'll put it, say, use Google Translate and put it into modern Greek or Italian, and then, then I'll put that in and have it translated into English. It's pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> As it goes back and forth, yeah, it has no. Uh, there, the, another thing, yes, the um, by all by saying you get no credit for having done the work if you can't identify the forms and the grammar. Right. Um, my uh, my second Greek teacher, uh, Walton Morris, he ha- he wrote out and handed out every year what he called Morris's maxims, and I don't. I only remember a couple of them, but it begins with. If you know it, you can say it. If you can't say it, you don't know it. This eliminates <laughs> this. Well, Mrs. Lacey, I, I know what it means. It's just I can't put it into words. No. Right. If you right. know it, you could say it. If you can't say it, you don't know it. Maxim number two is if you can't uh, parse the sentence, if you can't give an account of the forms and the grammar, then you cheat it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other or or now that's a little strong because uh, I knew in graduate school there were some students who had been taking Latin since they were eight years old. They were, uh, I mean, these are graduate students, and they were very good at skimming and getting the basic sense. But they but they had long ago lost whatever interest in grammar they might have had. But the point is, they were always making little mistakes. But they sounded very glib, but in fact, they didn't have a strong grasp. It's only uh, when, when you really bear down and struggle with the words that they, they then fix themselves in your memory. Right. Now, I remember kids like that in my classics courses in college. You know, they could sort of come up with what the passage meant, but they would miss little things, and it's because they weren't paying attention to what the words were. Yeah. One of, the, yeah. one of the themes um, I've had in these uh, Latin discussions is that there are two ways of reading all languages for a foreigner. Uh, <clears throat> and one is to go word by word, making sure you know everything. And it doesn't, I don't care if it takes you 45 minutes to figure it out, but you figure it out. Now, this is not going to allow you to uh, enable you to uh, read, you know, all of Livy in less than 5,000 years. But you, so you also have to develop, uh, but not in first and second year lat, but eventually develop an ability to uh, speed read. I know for me, the breakthrough, I, I'd always just liked Latin in uh, high school and college, and I was forced to take Latin by my Greek professor who said, if you don't take any more Latin, I'm not giving you any more Greek. And he, and he could do that because all my Greek courses were, were, were extra for him. And so, uh, but I met, and I went in graduate school, they said, our goal is uh, equal competence in Greek and Latin. And I said, well, how many years of Greek do I have to give up? The, the, the chairman was not amused. But finally, when I was studying, you know, I, I'd done all my classwork and I was doing a lot of reading and studying for, final, for the final exa- translation exams. I got so, uh, you know, ordinary Latin like Cicero or Livy, <clears throat> I could lie down on the sofa, turn on the music and just read. Right. And, uh, I wasn't getting every grammatical fine point, but uh, by, I, could, I could read it and pass a translation test on, 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 on what I was doing. So I'd, like, last night I went to bed. I, had a, I found a, uh, a, an Italian, the classic Italian mystery writer from the 30s, uh, Augusto uh, De Angeli. And... Um, De Angelis. And uh, I found that I, I have to look up maybe one word a page, 
But if I don't look up the word, I still, I'm not, it's not like I'm missing anything. I, 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 I may miss the pattern of the tie, necktie he's describing. So you, you do, you have to do both. But at this age, uh, when you're dealing with middle school students, you have to concentrate on the, on the tough kind of reading where, although when you do sight reading, which is always a very valuable thing, which a lot of teachers don't want to do, when you sight read a passage and force them to do that, then they're having to use their, what they've learned to, to sort of guess their way through. And that's a very useful exercise. We do a fair amount of that, and it's tedious and painful for everyone, but we, we do it. Um, and it's good for them. They squirm, but we get through it. All right, so yes, we'll just do more of that because I think that's what helps them to realize that that's how they how they really know the words. Yeah, more more of what they used to call parsing. It's funny the word parse has been ruined in American English because when Bill Clinton started lying about his relations with various women, the press described this as parsing his sentences. No, no, to parse your sentence is to say well, as in, uh, if we're going to take cum esem parvulus, um, that's imperfect subjunctive of the verb to be, uh, used after cum <coughs> to indicate a previous condition, loquebar, <coughs> the uh, first person singular imperfect of the verb loquor, loqui. <coughs> that's what parsing is. Right. I taught them that word. They're all very proud that they know yeah, it. Yeah. Except one boy keeps saying parse. <laughs> 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 and then I'll laugh at him for it. <laughs> he thinks he's in French class. Exactly, that's what I said. I remember when, when, when I was uh, in, uh, <clears throat> about their age, uh, even then I was puzzled by how dumb you could be. And so uh, there was a Kingston Trio song called Charlie and the MTA, where a guy is stuck on the, on the uh, uh, Boston metro system uh, forever. Uh, and, and at the very end, one of the Kingston Trio says... A two Charlie, as if as if the word as if that's a, as if it's pronounced as in French. And, uh, how, what school did you go to? Well, maybe you just saw it written down. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, but, I, you know, just be grateful somebody put that in a pop up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you got. All right. I'll so, some more. Yeah. So. My students are also, they find memorizing declensions very difficult. Apparently, conjugations they can do because that's six words at a time. But declensions are a little much. And, you know, what I remember is that I just said it over and over again, and that was enough. But somehow they want more. Yeah. Um, The the first answer is uh, there is no easy way out. I mean, it's the, that one of the advantages of Latin is that there are there are no mnemonic tricks and and, and things. One one thing I have used as people do remember memorize stuff differently. For some people, reading with the eyes will work. Uh, I think that's maybe the most rare kind of uh, memory that is uh, eidetic or visual memory. I think uh, it's a and listening to somebody else say it is not much better. Saying it aloud over and over is the is the way. But you could also do it. I found by uh, marching around the room. That is, you know, putting you know with your body body motion emphasizing the words helps. There's another thing that I used to do, and that is um, on tests. I would always say uh, decline. 
the phrase, <clears throat> this good man. Now, this would drive them crazy because it's really you know, miserable for a teacher. Instead of saying, hic bonus weir. But, or, or, or in middle school, I just say decline, heek, bonus, weir. And that way, you line up these different declensional forms against each other so that you, or, or, or worse, uh, this, uh, this quick man, you know, heek, keller, weir. And so you have to get all, once they've got to like the third declension, and you can mix these things and mix pronominal forms, uh, it, 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 it means, it prevents them from doing what they want to do, which is to say, uh, just to have a, a rhythmic sing-song, and it doesn't mean anything. Right. Another thing, of course, you could have them translate, you know, like uh, Puella, girl, or the girl is, Puellae, of the girl, Puellae, to the girl, Puellam, you know, girl direct object, or I love the girl. You know, in, in other words... To get always to make them to 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 short circuit their attempt to use it as a kind of magic charm, so that they actually know what they're doing. But but they just they just have to memorize it. So there's no way right. around it. That's that's sort of what I told them. But they keep hoping that I, I don't know what they hope for. They just want it not to be hard. Well, in all their other classes, there's some the teacher gives them some <laughs> magic formula, you know, and, uh, and right or just cuts out the hard part. Is yeah. what I. Um, all right and so i've tried this both ways like when we started at the beginning of the year i would teach them the first conjugation and we'd go through the present and then i think i think then we just moved on to the second conjugation in the present and then the third in the present maybe and then i went back and did the imperfect right And, and at one point we were reviewing and I was able to show them just up on the board how all three in the present look different, and then and reveal to them then how regular the imperfect is. Yeah. When we were, um, is does it matter? I mean, if you do one conjugation in in all tenses, or is it better to do say all tenses at one time? Or yeah, I, I think um, it depends on the age. And here's where your children, your students are, 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 have been totally misled. At their age, they don't understand anything. You know, they're, they're, the capacity of the youthful mind for understanding is very limited, especially complicated things about morality or social justice, all of that. They, they, they really, they're not, they're not prepared for it. What they can, what they have a very high degree, something they can do 10 times better than I can is to, to memorize irrelevant stray facts. So, by the way, these people, they, if they play uh, Trivial Pursuit or some online uh, game like that, they, 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 they could tell you all, all sorts of stuff about sports but, and statistics, but they don't want to, but they don't want to learn uh, how to decline uh, a noun. But um, so there, there are different systems by which it can be done. The, the, the older Latin books uh, would do it, you'd start, as much as you're doing it, you start with First of all, the present tense, and then you move on to the second conjugation because it's because it's so similar. Just you change the stem vowel. Then you go on to the imperfect and future, and so you've got the present system, active, indicative, of two conjugations. 
then you can move on to the third conjugation, first the present, which is a little slightly dodgy, the imperfect, which is so normal, and because you really don't have to learn, once you've learned the imperfect, the rule for forming the imperfect, which is to go to the present stem and add bomb, boss, bot, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, 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 it's almost impossible not to learn it. But right. then, then, of course, you have irregularities in the in the uh, third conjugation future, especially when you get to the I stems. And then you, you move forward and you move forward then. When you do the perfect stem, uh, the perfect active tenses, they're, they're all formed the same way. You just It's a question of memorizing the, the fourth pr- uh, principal part. Now, one of the things that bothers me about, the, about this system is that I think it's probably useful. I could be wrong, but I've, I've usually tried to get them to memorize all four principal parts from like the second or third week. Because, so, for example, they'll, they'll eventually know it's, you know, it's amo, am, amo, amare, amawi, amatos. But what about do dare dedi datos? Sto stare steti status? There are these verbs which they have with a few minor irregularities. It's best to learn that you have to know the the four principal parts from the beginning, just as no matter what book you use, it's useful to learn the genitive form of every noun from the beginning because it's from, to get them in the habit of looking at the genitive case as the, to form the base of the noun, not at the nominative. The nominative works fine for the first, well, for all first and most second declension nouns, not, not all second declension nouns, but, you have, but you, it's the genitive that you have to look at. That's what I've started doing. The, um, the Cambridge book, which we're using, st- at somewhere after the first chapter, starts presenting you with the accusative instead of the genitive. So in the vocabulary, it'll give you the nominative and the accusative, so you can see. Yeah. Um, but I, shortly thereafter, I realized they need to know the genitive because I was teaching them the declensions alongside of it um, and was telling them that you need to know the genitive to form the, the rest of it. And so um, so I just said, this is how you learn the nouns. You learn the nominative and the genitive. I can um, tell, I can and that's the part you memorize. So. I can tell you the theory by which the Cambridge did it because... This is being done in a whole lot. It's being done in uh, ancient Greek books. It's being done in uh, like Russian and Serbian books because there are so many cases, less in Latin than in, uh, say, Slavic languages, but so many words where the nominative and the genitive are the same. So they feel that uh, they've got this theory that by studying it that way, you get, you get two for one frequently. But there's no... When something has been done one way for several thousand years, it's best just to accept it and and go on and do it. And besides which, the genitive is the second case. Although some of these books, they now like to give, they'll they'll give you nominative, uh, accusative, and then genitive, dative, ablative. I I just, I'm opposed, and especially now in in, uh, Greek grammars. Uh, I think it's all, it's all, it's very wrong. Because, you know, they established the sequence of cases a long time ago, for, for, and it's what we should be recapitulating what students have been taught for 2,500 years. Why, why, why I think what we, we, the knowledge of Latin is declining among PhDs. Why do we think that we know more than somebody 100 years ago did? 
I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, so I, I would know. say, yeah, hit the nominative, genitive, and gender uh, from almost the beginning, and then after like the first couple of weeks, start introduce, start making them learn. Certainly from the very beginning, the uh, the first principle and the second principle part. Right. But then quickly give them the third and fourth, because in the case of the third conjugation, it's very easy. And yes. so, but when you get to the when you get to the the second conjugation, the ere verbs, well, then you've got, you know, it was sure, a lot of them go de, moneo, monere, monui, monitus, but there are verbs like maneo, yeah, within, to remain, maneo, manere, mansi. Right. Yeah. So you've got to, and if you aren't learning it from the beginning, you know, it, this is, it's hard to go back. In other words, it, it falls, these kinds of uh, things then fall between the cracks. Right. And I, they, and what I noticed with my students is that I'd been teaching them that, you know, the verbs follow these patterns and they're actually sort of easy to predict, but then you get to the perfect. And unless you've been memorizing it, yeah. that third principal part is not easy to predict. No. The, no. the endings are, yeah. that's fine. That's but um, yeah. unless you've been memorizing the third principal part, you, they, they were outraged that, yeah. that Latin would do that to them. So, um. Well, one thing, one thing I sometimes point out to them is, you know, Latin doesn't distinguish between U and V. So if you look at, uh, say, uh, Amawi and uh, Monawi, both of them end in U-I or V-I, depending on how you, how, which spelling convention. So that part is actually less odd when, you, when you're just dealing with the majority of second conjugation verbs. So telling them that is a little reassuring, but you don't want them to use it as a crutch because there are these, uh, you know, it's a minority of verbs in the second conjugation that, that don't use the U or V. Right, yeah. right. And uh, it still doesn't quite look the same to them. No, no. No. Any other questions? I think my last question is, and this is just idle curiosity, before we had textbooks like such as we use now yes. with the with the fun stories, What? how would people have learned Latin? Yeah, good question. Um, well, we have, you know, we have a variety of books around. It would depend on the period and the country. So, for example... I, I, I ran into a guy who was a very, uh, very, very enthusiastic about teaching uh, Latin as a, as a living language. And, and, uh, and of course, I'm, I'm, I, I told him it wouldn't work unless you had the students a couple of hours a day, seven days a week. And he said, well, that's how Thomas Aquinas learned it. I said, well, you know, Thomas Aquinas, growing up, you know, uh, in, the, in the late 12th, early 13th century, Thomas... Uh, his home language, his the, the nursery language for him was medieval Italian, which is just a corrupted Latin. And so, uh, under a tutor, to start switching your medieval Italian into medieval Latin is is just simply not an enormous change. It was easy for him to learn it orally. And then, of course, yes, you have to learn the rules. They did. They we know that uh, the the Romans taught taught grammar formally. Um, say in, in Elizabethan England, we have we have some of the textbooks, and they they taught the grammar pretty explicitly, very cut and dried, and then they they had uh, made up Latin that they would start uh, reading uh, fairly quickly, and um, and of course <clears throat> earlier they would the uh, the Vulgate was used uh, a great deal. 
uh, uh, because the uh, G- <clears throat> Jerome's Latin is 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 fairly simple compared to say Cicero or anything else. Right. But uh, what I objected to when I I took uh, Latin for Americans in uh, in uh, grammar school I mean in, in early in high school and I, I hated the book because it, they, they all went out and they had a pickus nickus and they drank coca-cola and it was silly and I felt you know gee if, if this were a serious subject it wouldn't it wouldn't have the silliness in it years later I met the the last author uh, uh, Henderson who was a uh, Charlie Henderson a great guy and uh, you know m- much too smart for this kind of nonsense and I but the the Pandering to the student by giving them childish stories starts up in the in the late 18th century. Helvetius and other people. Walter Scott interestingly says, you know, he he has an argument that uh, if you present something as uh, childish when they're beginning to learn it, that they will never they will never understand how much work and discipline it's going to take to become educated. And even the crazed Hegel, the German philosopher, said that the purpose of education is to bring the child up to be an adult and to think like an adult. Not, but if you condescend and you get down to his level, he'll think that's an acceptable level. And I, interestingly, there's not much that Scott and Hegel agreed on. No. But not, not, <laughs> uh, not coddling and, and presenting baby material to children and you know god we had to play latin bingo and dress up in bed sheets and uh and i i said well i'm not going to do it and the teacher said well then you i won't give you a grade better than c well to i didn't want to stay i was not a grade grower but i didn't want to be uh punished by my parents so i had to go through this silly stuff so the the the, the less of the silly business you get the 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 more the more seriously you tell i remember i had, I had a french teacher and he said uh, he was actually, a, a, you know, uh, his subject was really German, but he was forced to teach French. And he would sit there in class, a very young man, he would sit there smoking a cigarette. And he said, no, you know, when we're studying French literature, this is, you know, this is serious stuff. I mean, this is for men of the world. We're not talking about nursery rhymes. He said, you know, it's uh, the kind of stuff you talk about at cocktail parties. You know what I mean. Well, he was referring to the fact that a lot of French literature is, you know, on the erotic or naughty side. But the point is... The point is, better for people to understand, oh, we're, re- we're not reading Le Petit Prince. We're, right. we're about to read some pretty raunchy stuff from the 18th century. Right. And so, you know, act like a grown-up and quit sniggering and, uh, and, and just do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think those are all my questions, and I liked, I liked that last one. Good, good. Well, moving on, we're our final topic for today, because uh, as is my new custom, I'm taking one lesson and dividing it into two. That gives us more time to, uh, to chat and to worry a question back and forth. Nouns of the fifth declension. We've already taken up uh, in, in, the, in the course of this series, nouns of the first, second, uh, third, and fourth declension. This is our last declension. Children are very happy to learn that. <clears throat> this is defined as nouns with a stem in long e, that is a, with a genitive in e. It's uh, almost exclusively feminine, and in fact, it's clearly a lot of it is formed on analogy with the first declension, like poela, poelai. There is the word dies and meridies uh, in the uh, used in the masculine, day and midday. 
It's an unusual declension among Indo-European languages. There are a few parallels for it. Some people think maybe in Lithuanian, but it, uh, it, it, it is certainly, uh, it has a number of sources, but <clears throat> fairly early on, the Romans decided they could dump a lot of unusual nouns into it and regularize it. So uh, perhaps you'd like to decline dies for me. Me? Oh, well, well, okay. If you <laughs> um, yes. Um, I've got dies, diei, diei, diem, die, dies, dierum, diebus, dies, diebus. Okay, good. Now notice that uh, it's a combination sort of of styles. The diebus is immediately reminiscent of the uh, third declension, whereas the ending, the genitive ending, die, and and then the genitive plural, dierum, is reminiscent of the first and second declension. That is the use of the e uh, as as the genitive sign. Um, So... And remember that in, uh, you know, of course, in the first declension, Puelai was originally spelled, you know, A-I, not A-E. So uh, there are uh, some cross, because this is such a grab bag declension, and uh, there are some crossovers. So, for example, <clears throat> we find uh, the word for, for timber or, or matter, materia, but also materies. And uh, we also find, uh, like, Fames, fames, but also fame, hunger, but also fames, fame. So, so it's um, it's a it's a little bit dodgy. There are almost no plurals. We decline the plurals, but actually the, the only common plural is di for uh, now that exists in the plural is dies. So <laughs> let's let's so we can now go up and look at uh, once again the passage from Saint Paul. And we can see tunk autem facie ad faciem, to give it uh, the classical pronunciation. Notice f- uh, from face to face, or, f- or by face to face, which is how you say face to face in Latin. And fides and space, these are all uh, regular uh, third declension, uh, uh, sorry, fifth declension feminine uh, nouns. Any question on the fifth dimension? Fifth dimension. Fifth dimension yes, <laughs> Maybe what I'm entering if I take any more any more allergy medication. Uh, no, that seems pretty straightforward. All right. Well, we're we're over forty five minutes into class, and in any sensible uh, in any sensible classroom, we're only going to do forty five minutes, and so on. Our next class, we will go into uh, the question of verbs. If the uh, the the uh, fourth conjugation and the use of the imperfect and some uh, translation of Latin and English. So on that note, I'll uh, I'll bid a fond farewell. Thank you for listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved. These podcasts are made possible by our paid members, who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly not on a volunteer basis. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights, please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, 
make the most of a dark age.